What's poppin' people? <laughs> Welcome to the Rent Free Podcast. My name is Mo, your friendly neighborhood music head. Um, welcome to the show. I'm glad to be back. Took a bit of a break. Not too many reasons, really. I just, like, holidays came around and wasn't really feeling inspired to pod. And I guess it's a bit of a privilege right now that this is really just a hobby in that not many people were really checking to see when the next pod was. I wasn't getting, like, DMs and texts like, yo, when's the next thing? So a break was a break, you know? It kind of felt good to just relax this winter break. My next semester quite literally starts in a day and a half. So I have just been streaming a thousand different shows and listening to the very little music that came out in January, you know, just watching more movies lately. I'm kind of getting back into mixing songs again. So that's been fun. But just doing a lot of things to kind of take up the time as I approach this last semester before graduation. So yeah, took a break, but we're back. And the intention going forward is this very much music show will be bi-weekly. I wanted to do weekly, but I realized there really isn't much music. There isn't much newsworthy things to talk about. So I figure, hey, let's do this every other week, see how it goes, you know, given the pandemic. I'm assuming every two weeks are going to be at least an EP or something to talk about. So that's the plan going forward. You know, somebody hold me to that. If I'm not doing it bi-weekly, like somebody check me, please, because I'm really trying to be more consistent with this. <laughs> but yes, this is the show. Uh, I wanted to start off by saying, of course, RIP to MF Doom. We lost him, I guess. Was it just a week after my last pod? Somewhere around that time. Um... Doom was one of my favorite artists ever, and it really, really hurt to see him go, especially on the last day before New Year's Day, because that really ruined New Year's Eve. I don't know about anybody else who was a diehard Doom fan, but man, I was really looking forward to entering this 2021, like, all right, you know, like the, the whole cliche, like, you remember last year when everybody was like, yeah, 2020 is going to be the year, you know, this is going to be the one where we get our things together, you know, new decade and all that. And then it turned out to be the corona-filled pandemic that kind of ruined the whole world. Yeah, I kind of had that mentality for 2021 in terms of like, oh, this is going to be awesome. And so Doom's passing really did hurt. And he's just iconic. The way that independent artists move in today's hip-hop, let alone today's music, I'm very much waiting for a proper documentary to come out that like fully explains how important his role in music was, let alone just the talent level of being a phenomenal producer and rapper, you know. I it it definitely hurt to see him go. So have to say RIP MF Doom, long live the king, uh, all caps when you spell the name. Going forward, I got a couple different albums to talk about. Uh for starters, January has sucked. As always, January sucks with music and it shouldn't be any surprise that there's really been, as of right now, I have three projects on the docket, and only one of them is technically an album. Like, January was already going to be a bad, like, month, but especially given the circumstances, it's not really looking like we're getting anything substantial anytime soon. So, we're just going to go with what we got. I got some couple different projects and a couple different news-related things to get to, so without further ado, long-ass intro, but hey, we're jumping right into it. We're starting off with Jasmine Sullivan's new album. 
This is her project called Hotels, spelled H-E-A-U-X. Very elaborate way to spell ho. This is her first project in the past six years. Her album Reality Show came out in 2015. And I'm a, I'm a reasonable Jasmine Sullivan fan. I wouldn't say I'm a super huge one, but I very much respect her talent. And her album from 20, uh, not even 20, 2008. I even forget the name, but there's like four songs in there I very much keep in my rotation. Um, Jasmine's really dope, and she finally put out this album after a very long time away. And I watched her interview on the Joe Budden podcast, and there seemed to be a lot of like personal reasons why she took the break. And I'm glad to see that she's back with some very much quality with this project. Um, I heard it. It's pretty cool. All things considered, like... This is a concept album, so it's another one of those, like, yeah, this is the album, but it's not an album. You know, we have skits on here, but the real album is coming, like, eventually. It's basically what every artist has done in 2020, and I guess now 2021, where it's like, let's hold you guys over until quarantine is over. So it's annoying. You know, we had Meek Mill do that with his little quarantine EP. We saw Drake do it with the Dark Demo Lane tapes. We saw plenty of artists have been doing this, so Jasmine's just another one of those to hop on the list, except this is actually a very, very quality project. Uh, there's 14 songs, but six of them are skits, so it's really just seven tracks, very much like an EP. But as far as the music goes, it's pretty interesting to see how Jasmine's sound has evolved more than a decade after her absence. Uh, it's just kind of interesting because, like, obviously she's a phenomenal vocalist, but she also has some, like existing rap elements in her songs she does that like rap melody sort of thing and just incorporates it into her already really dope like song making ability and she's been doing that for several years now i don't you know i'm not a jasmine expert but i feel like it's pretty obvious that she kind of does rap a little bit on certain songs and with this project it's interesting to see that r&b has shifted in now 2021 to an existing rap and sing style so it's like she just came in and didn't miss a beat. It doesn't feel like it's, I don't know, like Kelly Rowland coming in in 2021 trying to make dope music. It's like, nah, we're not going to get that. We kind of are a decade late on her style. In terms of her just acclimating to this existing R&B scene, Jasmine does it well. And it's, it's real dope to see. She has seven to eight tracks on there, and I liked four of them. That's a pretty good ratio. Um, <laughs> she has, I don't know, the song Sit On It with... Ari Lennox. It's one of those that, like, I don't know if I'm going to listen to a lot, but I can definitely see why everybody's, like, obsessing over it. Just given the lyrics, I encourage you all to look up the lyrics to that, let alone, like, listen to it. Because, wow, they were, they were in a bag, to say the least. Um, <laughs> she has some, some really good songs on here. I just, I'm happy to see that a established R&B act is still doing so well, if that makes any sense. And I feel like the standout track for me is Pick Up Your Feelings. I think that was a single to begin with, but it was a really dope single. Uh, Price Tags with Anderson Pack is cool, but it has some very questionable lyrics from Anderson himself. And that was basically it. The song Lost One is pretty interesting. I guess this, like she's singing in perspectives of other people that she's interacted with. And so She's singing about somebody else's story of a relationship experience. And this song, Lost One, is about 
somebody whose essential life goal is to find like an Atlanta rapper and become this stay at home, rich housewife. And just, she manages to turn this kind of upbeat, weird song messaging into a somewhat heartbreaking experience. It's pretty hard to explain, but it's a really interesting track. I feel like that would be my, that and the um, pick up your feelings would probably be my two standout tracks for the album. But that was basically it. Um, Hotels did come out. We also had Eric the Architect, who's one third of Flatbush Zombies, the rap group. He put out his debut solo EP, Future Proof. And technically, he's had instrumental albums in the past the, under the Arkstrumentals title. Uh, Arkstrumentals 1 was on SoundClouds from like 2016, if I remember correctly. And 2018, we saw Arkstrumentals 2. That had more of a narrative to it. And it's interesting to see that he had a narrative in a whole project of just beats. But there's some interesting skits on there. And it's about like Eric is the best man or one of the groomsmen for this guy who's getting married. And there's like, I think, two or three songs that have raps on them. But of like the 14 others, they're all beats. And it was pretty cool, all things considered. But I feel like people were really waiting for him and the rest of Flatbush Zombies to put out their proper solo projects. And this seems to be it. This is also a EP, like prequel thing, which I'll get to later. But I don't have much to say about these five tracks because it's incredibly boring. You know, it's not like he's rapping poorly or the beats are bad or anything like that. There's just nothing captivating about this project. I spent the whole time just kind of waiting for Eric to sound like he cares. And I really do think that it was just the studio sessions he was doing and the vibe he caught. But this felt very much like demos or... I don't know, there was just something about it where I felt no enjoyment in hearing his voice. Not that the music was bad, it was just, I don't know, it's it's hard to explain. It feels like this whole project is just some background coffee shop music. Like, I would walk up to the counter at a Starbucks to pay and grab one of these miscellaneous poor CDs because I feel bad for the artist. Like, that's what this felt like, and maybe that's harsh, but... If you guys are familiar with the Lupe Fiasco project from last year with Kaylin Ellis, I think, produced it. It was like this jazzy sort of thing with Lupe raps. It felt like Eric was doing his best impersonation of that. It just wasn't as good. And the Lupe project wasn't even that good to begin with. So this was just weird. I don't know. And it's also unfortunate because I'm a big fan of Eric and Flatbush Zombies as a whole. I do very much enjoy their music and the style that they bring to this New York, this kind of newly evolved New York scene, I should say. And he claims that this is the like prequel to the album that's coming out, like every artist is doing. He says that the album is supposed to come out in, I think, the next few months, and this was just like a like a trailer for it. I don't even know anymore. I just hope that that new album doesn't sound anything like this. I hope that this was just the throwaway tracks and he just wanted to release something for the fans to be happy, but I just hope that the next project is better, to say the least. (laughs) Um, As far as the last project I have here, it's my favorite album of the year right now, which doesn't say much because I've really listened to maybe five projects this year, and this is kind of it. <laughs> this is Magic 8-Ball by Mac Ayres. 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 I don't know. It's A-Y-R-E-S, but who just goes by Ayres? Anyway, 
Mac Ares, he put out Magic 8-Ball. Um, if you guys follow me on Twitter or YouTube, you know just how much I love Mac and just sing his praises all the time. He just makes this cloudy, hazy, soothing R&B, and it just always feels so original. And from the production to his voice, I mean, deep cutting lyrics, like he's consistently making some of my favorite R&B music right now. And Magic 8-Ball is a continuation of that. <laughs> it sounds great. It's dope that he, you know, it's been, I guess, a year and a half since his last project in 2019. And it's dope that he did put this out in the midst of a pandemic and didn't wait like everybody else is doing. Because now, if anything, he's getting his shine because nobody else is willing to step foot in the ring of, like, music releases, if that makes sense. And, yeah, this album's cool. It's just eight songs, 30 minutes, like, less than 30 minutes, actually. It's a very short, like, listen, and I'm starting to really enjoy brief listens now. I might have mentioned that on the last podcast, but short little listens are just really what's working for me now. And this works. It's filled with, like, groovy songs and sad songs. It's, like, I highly recommend every single thing on this project. Standout track for me is probably Never Let Me Go, featuring cartoons, Cartoons? Cartoons? I don't know. It seems like cartoons. C-A-R-R-T-O-O-N-S. But check out that song, if anything. The song will speak for itself. That's all I got for music. And now on to just the few little news-related things that I have here. All of them have to do with criminal charges now that I think about it. Which is very unfortunate, because this January has really been so boring. <laughs> I've been trying to say that. It's not even just music releases. It's just news in general. There's just nothing very newsworthy or worth talking about. But I'll start with on his last day in office, former President Trump. Man, it feels good to say former. Um, on his way out the door, he issued uh, presidential pardons to Lil Wayne and Kodak Black, among Many other people, but those were the two hip-hop-related pardons. I think there were two others, actually, but in terms of people that I care about. Um, <laughs> I don't really care about Wayne or Kodak, but either way, hear me out. Wayne is getting out of a weapons charge that he pleaded guilty to right after publicly endorsing Trump's re-election campaign and selling some of his masters. I don't know if that was related, but it seems like it was. He got a presidential pardon for seemingly saying to his fans, hey, go vote for Trump. And Kodak is getting out of the rest of his 46-month sentence for a firearms possession charge that he also pleaded guilty to in March of 2020. And he has since released a song, talk like mentioning Trump, and I think he tweeted a picture of a gold bar with Trump's name inscribed in it. Um... Oh, there's a there's a lot I could say here, but I'll leave it at this. Wayne and Kodak are simply irresponsible for getting into these situations to begin with, but mainly, they're cowards. Rather than doing everything in their power to distance themselves from someone who quite literally relies on a white supremacist base to make up his core following, they'd rather use their celebrity and their influence to just, what, have some self-serving goals in getting a get-out-of-jail-free card like we're in Monopoly in exchange for supporting a vile presidential candidate that had four years of destruction and, you know, known racism and sexism and just reckless disregard for 
piece. Just, I don't get it. I don't get why they did it. But honestly, how much do we really expect from Wayne and Kodak? You know, Wayne has gone on record just, what, dismissing the Black Lives Matter movement. I mean, he's gone out of his way to steer away from anything politics related, which is seemingly just a product of like the media training that he got over the years of trying to steer away from anything that can alienate a section of his base. So just don't say anything political and you keep the whole base. But that in itself is nasty to me. So he has that on his belt. And like, how surprised are we that he's now turning to MAGA as his get out of jail free card when he's not said anything political all these years? Meanwhile, Kodak's character is nothing better. I mean, he's been disturbing for quite some years now. With his comments on Lauren London after Nipsey Hussle's passing, I feel like that was kind of the straw that broke the camel's back of him just being an asshole, like, all the time. And most importantly, we're still waiting on his court proceedings for the legit heinous rape charge from 2016 that nobody talks about anymore. I think... Hot 97 and Ebro were the only media station to remotely press him on the issue, but he's still out here living his life as if he doesn't have this very heinous charge, like, sitting on his back. And, you know, you can look at charges and things of that nature differently depending on who you are. I'm going to get to a bit more serious of a situation later on, but it's like, I look at him funny for those two specific situations. So it's like, is it really that surprising that he just asked for Trump to pardon him? You know what I mean? Anyway, um, we got another case here with Megan The Stallion and Tory Lanes yet again making headlines because something happened where like something fake news related came out. Um, let me just try to run through it right quick. Uh, basically. If you're familiar with how, like, court proceedings work, you can go to any district attorney's, like, office website. Like, it's a the public state website. You can just kind of look up somebody's name or case number, things of that nature, and you can find out the status of the case. So that's handled for any time the people are pressing charges against somebody. The people being, like, the government, things of that nature. So you can find out anything about, like, the status of specific cases through just Googling a case. And just a few days ago... News had broken that Megan Thee Stallion had dropped her charges against Tory Lanez. Now, immediately I go, huh? Like, what? How could this be happening? So I do a bit of digging and learn that, A, Megan isn't even the one that's pressing charges. It's the state. So she has nothing to do with it outside of just, like, being a witness, I guess. And B, the only reason the story got published about her, like, dropping charges is because the L.A. County, like, court office website just hadn't updated the status of that case properly. And so I think it was like a either a bug in the system or like, you know, some intern is losing his job, but somebody messed up and it showed up in the system as like something alluding to the idea that the charges were dropped. So that hit and every single blog said, oh, she dropped charges? Let's run the headline. That's when Megan Thee Stallion got on Twitter to clear the air because she went on a tirade, blasting the media and Tory specifically. She said, like, this was all fake news. It was orchestrated by Tory's team for this to get out there. His team is painting her out to be a villain. And to quote her tweet directly, Bitch, you shot me, and my story not changing, and bitch, you going to jail. 
Now, very obviously, this Twitter rant was not proofreaded by a PR agent. Like, she literally saw the headlines and just went berserk. And somehow, those tweets are still up on her Twitter, which is very surprising, all things considered. But that happened, and at this point, I'm just very confused as to why headlines like these keep coming out of, I guess, Megan being villainized and questioning why, like, what's happening with Tori and... Reports like these coming out with like, oh, when is the court date and whose side do you take? It was kind of funny at first. I'll admit I was I was poking in at the fun. But at this point, when every couple weeks it's just new, like not even factual things coming out. It's like at this point, can we just see what the outcome of this case is? Like, can we not get stupid headlines like this where Megan has to go online and keep saying that she was shot and just getting all of the hysteria from Twitter and everything. Like, obviously this is an awful situation for her if everything is true. And most likely is, all things considered. But, I don't know, man. It's just it's just looking funny in the light. And I'm, I just want to see what the actual result is from the DA office. You know, I just hope they get it right. And the last bit of news here, which is also like a criminal case... I'm getting this from People Magazine, but I'm assuming there's dozens of other sites that have already reported on this as well. Uh, People Magazine reported that Soldier Boy is being sued by his former personal assistant, who alleges that she was raped, beaten, and held hostage at a point by Soldier Boy himself over a course of like a year and a half span that all these things happened. Now, her identity is being filed as Jane Doe for her protection. You know, she's accusing him of multiple instances of sexual assault subjecting her to a hostile work environment, failing to pay her earned wages, and a lot of other nasty things. Um, People Magazine's reporting of the lawsuit describes the whole situation as just simply disturbing. Uh, Soldier Boy's representative has denied the allegations, saying that, uh, this is regarding Soldier, that he wouldn't beat a woman or put his hands on a woman. This is nonsense, like loosely quoted. Um... Whenever situations like these happen in music, like specifically when it comes to abuse of women or children, I immediately put artists on timeout from my music library. So I mentioned Kodak Black before. I haven't voluntarily listened to Kodak's music since I became aware of that rape case that he's involved in. And this applies to Trey Songs. I am not sure what the status of his like multiple sexual assault allegations are, but Unless I know otherwise, I'm not listening to Trey songs, you know. You know, I don't listen to XXXTentacion for that very reason. Like, I don't compartmentalize heinous acts when it comes to artists. I do still listen by a moral code, at least in all ways that I can. And so there are the situations, however, when somebody is just completely falsely uh, accused and false allegations come out. The one that immediately comes to my head all the time is Freddie Gibbs. Gibbs is one of my favorite artists. Anybody who knows me knows that. But there was that brief period in time where I didn't really listen to his music because of that whole uh, rape allegation. Granted, it was entirely baseless. The woman is being, or I think was countersued by Freddie Gibbs since then. But, you know, everything came out that they were just lying. They weren't even in the same room, let alone had intercourse and all this stuff. But luckily, he was able to prove his innocence in that situation because there are the from what I understand, like less than 10% of rape allegations that are false. And so 
I'm going to be trying to keep a neutral stance when it comes to Soldier Boy, but like it's it's hard when you read the specific things that a woman is saying to an attorney and things of that nature. So I'll be keeping an eye on the situation, but you know, for right now, I'm side eyeing the fuck out of Soldier Boy, and you know, we'll see what happens. That's all I got for news related things. I won't even touch on the whole like Danny Lay and the baby thing with that Yellow Bone song. Maybe I'll get to it next week, but I'm just waiting for all that to simmer down so I can kind of like look at it with impartial eyes because. I don't know. Whatever they got going on there is weird, man. <laughs> um, despite it all, uh, that's all I got for news. And as far as my rent-free segment goes for this week, um, it's about Drake's album being pushed back. You know, that's really been living in my head rent-free lately. And it's really because it's kind of a multi-layered thing in terms of, like, what is going on and what has happened. So, like, here's a super-duper brief timeline. Drake announced his album, Certified Lover Boy. It would be his sixth album. Certified Lover Boy would come out in January of 2021. He announced this in October. So a, like, two-and-a-half-month window, essentially. Looked like the album was coming out. Everybody was getting excited, right? Two weeks or so later, he seemingly tears his ACL. He had some sort of, like, freak accident or injury with his knee. He had surgery and... From, like, you know, Twitter investigators, it seems like he tore his ACL. And that, if you're a sports fan, is gruesome as hell, and he's likely going to be out for a while in terms of just, like, living life in anywhere near the same capacity. Now, towards the end of last month, he posts on his IG story that he's still recording new music for the album. He's still in the booth working on the project. And by that point, I was very much questioning things. I had tweeted a thing or two about it. But he had posted that whole IG story thing. And then this past week, I think just three or four days ago, he announces that he's pushing the entire album back. I'll read his little IG story like press release thing. He said, I was planning to release my album this month, but between surgery and rehab, my energy has been dedicated to recovery. I've been blessed to be back on my feet, uh, feeling great and focused on the album. But CLB, acronym for Certified Lover Boy, Weird album title. Anyway, won't be dropping in January. So, end quote, uh, obviously. Um, my confusion here is, why all the hassle just to delay an unfinished album? So, like, I feel like this is kind of common knowledge, but at least from my understanding, Drake is in that echelon of artists that just dictate when they want to drop. So, like, uh, what's an example? Like uh, Lil Nas X, for example, that pop hip-hop sort of thing that he does he's in a bubble where whatever label he's signed to he has to drop an album soon he has enough following around him but just that one single of old town road that really carried his success and never dropped an album since that 2019 run he has to have an album coming out he is more than likely facing a lot of different questions from label execs saying hey when's the album when are we putting it out all that stuff and more than likely, it's not dictated by him. It's when the label sees fit. Drake is nowhere near in that issue. He more than likely was way back when, when he was coming up, but right now, he has enough power at his label where he can tell them, yo, I want to drop in this month. That's just my understanding. I could be wrong, but I really don't think I'm wrong. 
and this is the same tier as a say Kendrick Lamar or J. Cole or Beyonce or Rihanna, you know, they control when they drop. So when I saw footage of him still in the studio recording, like, I don't know if it was new music or just new elements to songs, but clearly the album wasn't finished. So my question is, if you dictate when your album comes out, why announce a new album that isn't finished? Like, am I off in saying that? You know, this isn't even to mention the overarching dilemma of we're in the middle of a pandemic or a Panasonic or a Pedialyte, or a Panera Bread, or a Pandemonium, whatever the hell you want to call it, we're in a situation where nobody's trying to release albums right now because nobody can tour, and people are streaming music less. So when it comes to the big-name artists, it's really looking like 2021 is going to be one of the biggest years in music, like, ever, because we saw a literal two-year gap of album releases. So it's just really confusing that Drake looked like he was going to be that big domino to set things forward, and now we're just kind of in this like new stage of limbo where it's like, who's going to be the first person to jump out there and risk a potentially poor-selling project because of a lack of a tour? You feel what I'm saying? So I'm just really trying to figure out, or like, I don't know, speculate as to how long into 2021 are we really going to wait for the floodgates to open for all these albums? You know, obviously things are going to be contingent upon whenever COVID rates are lowered and when the vaccine is fully distributed amongst communities. And obviously that's going to take a whole bunch of months. Like, I do realize that. I'm just wondering, like, how far do we have to wait? And it just makes me wonder how it'll affect all these albums and the future tours and the concerts. You know, it's really looking like if we do say hypothetically have tours in like late fall, early uh, winter, essentially for 2021, every single venue is going to be booked. I don't, I don't really think a lot of people are thinking about that. Like there's going to be so many artists that are trying to book at the same exact time that there's going to be, lesser known acts who are going to be touring in like 2022 in the summer because they couldn't get a fall winter or spring booking for a proper tour you know i think that's gonna happen a lot when everything's opened back up and so i'm just really starting to think like how far do we have to wait you know when are the elite artists going to come out one of the like middle tier acts who are festival heavy going to be coming back out like there's just a lot, so... Yeah, this whole thought really just stemmed from Drake saying, hey, album delayed, but that's just how my brain works. Um, let me know what you guys think, what's going to happen with his album and just the big-name acts in general. Do you guys really think it's going to be in a couple months? Do you think it's going to be right around the corner we just don't even realize it? Like, There's a lot of implications right now going on with like these big-name acts, so we'll see what happens. Let me know what you guys think. And that's basically it for like my segment in general and the episode um as far as who i dedicate this episode to uh her name is berlinda nebo i dedicate this to you she's a 25 year old black woman in la who was attacked and beaten by a mob of maga trump supporters in la earlier this month some of you might have seen the images on twitter like i did uh for those who were uh, unaware of this whole situation same day as the Washington Capitol attacks that saw thousands of people invading the, you know, Senate, there were also MAGA protests in front of state capitol buildings all throughout America, including downtown Los Angeles. 
Now, Nebo was walking down the street, passing the protest, just trying to mind her business, when she was verbally harassed and followed, pulled into the crowd, physically attacked. Local bystanders had to come in and stop the brutality that these MAGA protesters were ensuing, you know, telling her to take off her mask. You know, they ripped out her hair, or I don't know if it was a weave or wig. Either way, it's downright disrespectful. They were kicking her, punching her. Uh, one man slapped her in the face, uh, just yelling all these expletives. And literally some bystander had to run in, grab her, and like tell her, like, hey, you're going to be okay. Just you know, stay calm. These guys are trying to kill you. We're going to get you out of here. You know, It was a very disturbing story to listen to, let alone just her account of it. She was grateful enough to live to tell this tale. Uh, six people were arrested in relation to this protest or crowd or whatever the hell you want to call the mob. Um, they weren't even related to her attack, these arrests. And last I heard, police are still looking for two men who were related to the incident. And my call to action for this disgusting incident was going to be linking her GoFundMe page. But it already accrued $100,000 and it has been uh, shut down by the owner. So... They probably set the goal for 100000 or like 50000 or something and just cut it off. But yeah, there's going to be a link in the description for this podcast to just the story. And you can more than likely just Google her name, Berlinda Nebo. I'll spell it out for you. It is B-E-R-L-I-N-D-A, Berlinda and Nebo, N-I-B-O. Um, you can more than likely find all the images on there. And they're just, it's terrifying to see what, what has gone on in a MAGA-filled America and just the reckless abandon that the former president was trying to lead our people into. So that is, that's who I dedicate the episode to, and that's really it for the episode. Um, the way I'll cheer you guys up, here's a little suggestion, song suggestion, song by the name of Blanched Bethel by Oswin Benjamin. I will spell blanched because I could barely pronounce it. It is B-L-A-N-C-H-E-D, Blanched Bethel, B-E-T-H-E-L by Oswin Benjamin. Link will be in the description. Um, Oswin is just a super talented rapper, and he has this album that just came out. Uh, what's it called? Joy Comes in the Morning, but not like morning, morning, like wow my english is bad today um it's like mourning like you're mourning a loss of somebody like m-o-u-r-n-i-n-g but yeah it's a it's a cool project and this song blanche Bethel, is probably like my favorite song of the year right now granted it's only been three weeks but there's just so much levels of social commentary and lyricism packed all throughout the song definitely definitely worth checking out so listen to that link in the description that's it for the episode thank you all for tuning in uh, follow me on social media, Mo the God on Twitter, uh, M O underscore the God, uh, Mo the Music Head on YouTube, uh, Mo underscore Divine underscore on Instagram. Links are in the description. And subscribe to the pod if you haven't already. I am very glad to be back here in studio. Studio being my bedroom. Uh, we got a new mic. I don't know if y'all can hear the quality difference, but yeah, that's it. That's the episode, y'all. Thanks guys for tuning in, and we'll catch you on the flip side. Peace.